you have your Bibles, just for a few moments this morning, I want you to turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, in just a moment, I want to begin reading in verse number one, this particular portion of scripture. We find the pages of the word of God. November 15th of 2022, my wife, Rachel, went to be with the Lord, and that was a day that changed my life forever, and certainly I will never be the same my life, my preaching, my ministry, everything that God has done in my life. I remember that morning around 530, I'd been asleep, I hadn't slept for days, and I don't know if I passed out or my eyes just closed. Around 530 that morning, I fell asleep around 630, an hour later, the nurse came and said that my Rachel was in heaven and with the Lord. She had had ovarian cancer. They told us on January 6th of 2022 that she only had a few weeks, a few months. At the most, she had a year to live. Certainly, we believed God. We trusted God. We had faith in God. But God had a different story. God had a different plan. The moment when Rachel went to heaven, something happened in my body that I'd never experienced before. God has allowed me to pastor. God has allowed me all these years to be in evangelism. I've stood by the grave of loved ones and friends. I've had grandparents that went to heaven. I have friends that have died. But I never knew what real grief was until that moment that my Rachel went to heaven. In my mind, in my way of thinking, I had to begin to read. I had to begin to study immediately. I had to find every resource that I could find on this subject of grief. It's a strange thing. I was raised, my father was a drunkard, got saved by the grace of God. I was born in Washington, D.C., and God called us back to West Virginia. And Dad got right with the Lord. I was raised in a pastor's home. I've heard, literally, I cannot tell you the messages, thousands of messages, hundreds of churches that I've been in in my life. Never, has any preacher told me how to deal with grief. Never have I heard a message that any man of God told me what to do when I began to grieve. Oh, I would hear things like this. Well, just just trust God. I tried. (laughs) They would say things like this. Well, just have enough faith. I tried. They would say ignorant statements like this. Well, just believe God and go on with your life. I wanted to. But I was grieving. I began to grieve. And when I began to study this process of grief, I certainly learned things in my life and in my mind. Every night of my life when I preach and I try to look at faces that believe the Bible, they believe God. If they've been washed in the blood, they're on their way to heaven. But that does not mean that you will not grieve in this life. I began to study the psychologists too, particularly that were very well educated in the subject of grief. They they would say things and I I would read the Bible or the the books that they had read and I I would listen to the podcast and I, I would try to deal and I would try to educate myself and psychologists saved or lost, they'll all say that there's many phases to grief. If you're going through grief, it's a strange thing. Even in our good Bible believing churches, there are people that are grieving right now and you have no idea that they're grieving. 
There's people that you love that may even live in your house and you have no idea that they're grieving. There are many phases to this grief. Certainly if we dealt with every phase, and there's opinions on this, but they vary in their opinions. We, we could take the rest of this day and we could deal with these phases of grief, grief, but every educated one that knows of the subject of grief, they'll all say there are seven major areas to this grief. Can I just give this by a foundation? Number one, when you, when you deal with grief, no matter the reason, most of the time we associate grief with death, but it does not have to be a death. It could be a marriage separation. It could be loss of a job. It could be situations in your family, your life, whatever it is. But though you're saved, though you're a child of God, you will still deal with grief. These seven phases. Number one, you will deal with the anger in your grief. I can honestly say that I have not been mad or angry at God. How can you be angry at a God that sent his only begotten son to bleed and to die for the sins of the world? I've not been angry at God, but I've been mad at preachers. I've been angry at other pastors that say things about their wife that they should never say. I thank God for your pastor, one of my friends, and I thank God for his family, and you can see even if you don't know him, you can watch on social media how much that he loves his family and his wife. But there's some so-called men of God that I've been angry with. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. That's impossible. But me and Rachel had as close to a perfect marriage as you can have. And I'm thinking, God, why not them? Why me? Whatever the reason for your grief, you will deal with anger. It's a natural process inside of your grief. Not only is there grief, but number two, there's the bargaining of your grief. I was there in the hospital of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My wife was in the ICU, and I would lie on that dirty hospital floor, and I would say things to God like this. God, I read my Bible every day, but God, I'll read it 10 hours a day. God, whatever. God, I preach normally most nights of my life. God, I'll preach three times every day and every night. God, whatever. But there's a problem with bargaining in your grief. You can bargain all that you want to, but it will not change the situation in your grief. There's anger, there's bargaining, but number three, there's the denial of your grief. How many meetings now for the last 13 months have I been to? I've tried to preach. And I'll sit in that place. I did it this morning in the early service. I, this, this amazing church, this church at God, it's blessing. And the, the, I love the, the spiritual balance, the biblical balance in this church. And I, I was sitting there and I, the, the atmosphere and the spirit, the kindness that's in this place. And I'm thinking, why, why is Rachel not here? Why can't my Rachel see this? Almost how many times have I, have I been to different places and God's allowed me to see in 13 months so many amazing things and just wonder, God, why is Rachel not here? There will be a denial. It's a natural process inside of your grief. Not only is there anger, bargaining, denial, but number four, there must come a day in your grief of the acceptance in your grief. Many people, even saved, somebody said, well, if you're truly saved, you'll, you'll not grieve. Well, you don't understand your Bible, sir. But whatever the reason for your grief, 
There must come a moment, there must come a time when you accept the reason for your grief. Many people that never accept this grief will never go past their grief. There's an acceptance. I remember not just the day, I remember the moment I had to accept the fact that Rachel would never walk into another church building with me. I don't know why you're grieving, sir. Ma'am, I have no idea why you're hurting. But there must come a day that you accept the reason for your grief. There's an acceptance of your grief. But number five, and understand we're Bible believers. And understand many preachers will not accept this fact, but it's true. In grief, there's the anxiety that if not dealt with will lead to the depression in your grief. I've heard statements like this in camp meetings and jubilees and people shouting and people saying amen and people kicking up sawdust. And I never understood why you put a tent beside a $10 million building. But anyhow, kicking up sawdust and no air conditioning. I'm sweating and I'm thinking I'd rather be at Starbucks. But anyhow, and they'll say things like this and, and people just shouting all over the place. I'm too blessed to be depressed. That sounds wonderful, but it's not biblical. We're all blessed. If you're breathing, you're blessed. You're blessed. If you're suffering from grief, God lets you come back tonight or you want to come back tonight. Well, grief, the anxiety, there's many reasons for anxiety. Certainly there's the mental anxiety. There's anxiety from worry. Worry is a sin. Be careful for nothing. The apostle Paul said, but you'll find out in physical grief, even Jesus himself suffered anxiety on the cross. In your grief, Brother Stephen, I never, <laughs> I mean, we're from West Virginia, man. Like, get over it. Just, just, just pick up your thing. Just get on with life. I never suffered from this <laughs> until 13 months ago. Just because you're washed in the blood, wonderful. You're on your way to heaven. You're not going to hell. Praise God. But that does not mean. It's almost in our churches, sadly, we've been made to feel like we are lesser of a Christian because we suffer from anxiety. And that is not true. In grief, there's anxiety. There's the acceptance. Number six, just, just, in, just foundation. There's the shock of this grief. When Rachel had her funeral her celebration, there were hundred, literally hundreds of people there. Hundreds of people came and went and stayed. And we had buses there that one bus blocked the main road, and they, they, they. I get in trouble everywhere I go. They, I'm a, how you get in trouble at your wife's funeral? But I did. But anyhow, they blocked the main road, and man, they, they and people come by after the service. Say, man, what amazing singing! We had six preachers there, and all that kind of stuff. And they'd say, oh man, what a message, brother! My, one of my best friends, Brian McBride, preached, and all that kind of thing. Had an amazing time, and they said, all oh, the singing, Rachel would have loved it. And I didn't, I didn't hear none of it. I don't, I don't know what they preach. I have no idea what songs they would sing. Because I sat there in shock. But my Rachel was gone. Can I say, ma'am, I don't know why you're grieving, sir. I don't know why you're suffering, but I know this. 
It's a natural reaction. There will be shock in your grief. Number seven, here's what I want to deal with just for a moment. There's guilt in your grief. Some of you young people will never reach the potential that God has for you in your life for one reason, the guilt. There's mothers and fathers that have limited what they'll do in their life because of guilt. We understand this things happen because of sin, when there's repercussions because we're not living right. But can I make this statement? That is not what we are dealing with today. If God, and we'll find out in the Bible, God does this. It makes no sense humanly speaking, but God does this. If God allows the grief, you should never feel guilty in your grief. Isaiah's writing in Isaiah 53, he's writing to Israel. He's writing to a people that will not accept Jesus because of his appearance, because of the suffering, because of what he would suffer in his grief and all that God allowed in the life of his son. Isaiah begins with two questions in verse number one in Isaiah 53. Who hath, verse number one, chapter number 53, who hath believed our report? That has everything to do with faith. You know what Isaiah said? The prophet, the great man of God, he made this statement. Who is it that's going in Israel that's going to have enough faith to believe that the true Messiah is coming? Who is it in Israel that will have enough faith to believe that he will be the one? He will be the one, the gift, the Messiah that God, who's going to have enough faith? In my American way of thinking, I think this. Well, it must be some great man of God. It must be some prophet in Israel. It must be somebody strong in their faith. But it's a strange thing. If you're a student of the Bible, you know this. Anytime the Bible has a question, it always gives the answer. So he asks the question, who's going to believe the report? And watch the second question. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? that has everything to do, the right arm of God, that has everything to do with the omnipotent power of God. Prophet said, who is it? God will reveal his power in their life. Who is it? God will show to them his omnipotent power. Once again, I'm thinking of some great prophet. I'm thinking of some great man. I'm thinking of somebody that lives a wonderful moral life. But all of a sudden, Isaiah continues in the chapter. And he shows us it's those that are suffering. So those three times he'll use this word in this text, those that are grieving, they'll have enough faith when they suffer. God will reveal his power when they suffer. Dr. Adrian Rogers put it this way, faith that cannot be tested is no faith at all. And God will let you grieve in your life. Watch verse number two. The prophet keeps writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. I love this verse for he, speaking of Christ to Israel, for he shall grow up before him, not as a strong plant, but just a tender plant, very weak, very feeble. And as a root out of not, not fruitful ground, not, not prosperous ground, but dry ground. Huh. What's the Bible? He hath no form nor 
comeliness, no stately form, no splendor. And, and Israel, when we shall sin, I love this, there's no beauty, no outward appearance, Israel, that we should desire of him. There's nothing they desired of him that they would see. Isaiah, he's the king of kings, but he didn't come that way. Isaiah, he's the Lord of all lords, but he didn't come that way, though he was and though he is and though he always will be, but the outward appearance, it seemed as if he was suffering. It seemed as if something was wrong inside of his life. Watch the next verse in verse number three. He is despised in Israel and rejected, literally forsaken of men, a man of sorrows. Watch the first time. Isaiah will use this three times, but watch the first time. And he's acquainted with what? With grief. <laughs> you know what that means? I don't know why you're suffering. I, I don't know why you have grief in your life. I have no idea why this has happened. I don't know how you feel. You don't know how I feel. But you understand that there's a God in heaven. He is acquainted with your grief. He knows exactly what it means to grieve. He knows exactly what you feel, whatever the reason for your grief. What did we do, Israel? We hid, as it were, our faces from him. In verse 3, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely... He hath borne our griefs. That's an amazing English word. It literally means sorrow or some type or form of sickness. Where did he do it? Inside of his body. I believe Jesus was so much God. We understand this. For the wages of sin is death. There's hospitals because of sin. There's cancer because of sin. There's cemeteries because of sin. But Jesus never sinned. I think Jesus was so much God that he never sneezed. I think he was so much God, not ceasing to be all man, but he, yet he was still God. I don't think he ever suffered from a headache. I don't think he ever had to worry about a virus. Jesus never sinned, but yet he suffered. The only sickness he ever felt in this body was the sickness of grief. Watch the Bible. Surely he hath borne our griefs. What did he do in verse four? He carried our, not his, our sorrows. Yet we did, Israel, we did esteem him. We looked at him as stricken. We felt he was stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded. For who? Our transgressions. He was bruised, literally crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Every one of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought his lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare, what a question. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And notice the guilt in this grief. He was made, I love this verse, verse nine. And he, was, he has made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Why? Because he hath done no violence. Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Not one word crossed the mouth of Jesus Christ that was deceitful. There was no violence in him. 
He never failed. He ne- that simply reminds us he didn't deserve this grief. Everything that happened, all the suffering that was given, he did nothing to deserve this grief. So why would Jesus Christ go upon a cross and feel guilty for what he had done? I've often thought this in the last few months. Maybe if I would, maybe if I would have went off the road, maybe if I would have stayed home, maybe if we hadn't had to eat in restaurants so often, maybe if we didn't have to stay in so maybe she would have never got cancer, maybe she would not have died, maybe it's something I've done, but we have to be very careful in those statements and those questions when we're suffering on our grief because if God has allowed the grief, child of God, there should be no guilt in your grief. Can I say these three things in the message? Notice the exposition in verse number 10. Number one, the pleasure of his grief. Yet, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet, he hath done no violence. Yet, he openeth not his mouth. Yet, he done nothing to deserve it. Yet, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's an amazing word. He's already used it once. It literally means to crush him. It wasn't a matter of necessity. It wasn't a matter of God saying, this is just something that has to be done. He has to go to the cross. He has to bleed and die. No, God said, I please, I'm I'm pleased in crushing. And I say, all these years, God has blessed me. God has blessed my ministry. God has blessed my family. God has done things for me that many evangelists, they just dream. They just wish they could do it. I don't know why. I don't understand it. God has blessed me. But I got to be honest today, the same hand of God that has blessed me, it's the same hand of God that has bruised me. Same God that has been good to me is the same God that has allowed bad to happen to me. There's no doubt in my mind God still loves me. There's no doubt in my mind God still cares for me. There, biblically, there's no doubt in my mind God hasn't left me. God will never forsake me, but do you understand? It is the same God. Yes, he's blessed us all. Yes, he's been good to us all. Yes, he gave his only begotten son for us all. But notice this, understand this, that same God will bruise you. He placed him with pleasure in grief. I don't know why you're suffering, sir. Man, I have no idea why God has allowed this inside of your life, but I know this. If God pleasured in crushing his son, God will allow things in our life to crush us as a child of God. Not only the pleasure, watch the Bible. Look at the place of this grief. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, crush him. What has he done? He, God, God hath put him, Jesus. Where did he put him? To grief. It was God that put him in that place. 
It was God. I know God can heal cancer. I watched him do it. I know God can take away the pain. I've seen him do it. I know God can give tremendously. I've seen him do it. God can do all of those things, but it was the same God that put him to grief. It wasn't the soldiers that nailed him there. It wasn't Pilate that put him on the cross. It wasn't the Pharisees. It was God himself. When my Rachel died, I had many questions. God, why? I didn't understand it. People would go by and say, I know exactly how you feel. And they're trying to be kind, but they, they have no idea how I feel. I was in Florida last January. I was in Citrus County, Florida in January. If you were in Citrus County, Florida in January, the average age is like 123. I mean, it's just crazy. Everybody from up north, they go down there and that kind of thing. And I was preaching along these lines and this elderly lady came back and she said, Brother Dale, I know exactly how you feel. And I said, you do. And she said, yeah, my husband died two years ago. And I said, ma'am, I'm I'm so sorry. And I I tried to listen to it. But then I got to looking at her and I I didn't want to ask her how old she was. So I asked her, I said, well, ma'am, how old was your husband? And she said, well, he was 96. Now, I wanted to say, dear God, lady, you got to die sometime. But I couldn't say that. And I'm thinking, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She don't know how I feel. I don't know how you feel. But I believe with everything in me, God put me here. I believe there's a reason. God put me here. And I don't know why you're suffering. Sir, I have no idea why there's grief. Do you understand, not the God of America, that's a false God, God of the Bible will put you in that place and allow you to grieve. Why would you ever feel guilty when God puts you there? Can I say number three and I'm done? Adley, if you'll help us. Not only is there the pleasure of his grief, the place of his grief, but I'm interested in the purpose of his grief. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, to crush him. He, God himself, hath put Jesus to grief. Look at this word. I love this. When. Not today. Not now. Isaiah said, it's going to be a while, but when? It's going to be a few generations. It's going to be thousands of years later. When? Thou, the purpose, thou shalt make his, not his body, his soul. I'll let his body be broken. Oh, but look what his soul's going to do. I'll let his body bleed and be bruised, but his soul will be an offering for sin. You know why God not only found it necessary God pleasured in putting his son to grief. One reason, the purpose. 
God, because of the grief. God put his son upon a cross for one reason. That his soul would be the offering for your sin. If you're here today without Jesus, you know why you can be saved? Not because you're in church. It has nothing to do with it. Not because of some outward appearance. It has nothing to do with it. It's because God said, I'll take my only begotten son and I'll crush him so you can be saved. Why would you not accept that? God loves you that much. Man, I don't know why you're suffering grief. Sir, there's people in your family that has no idea how much you're suffering because you won't tell them. There's people sitting beside you right now, sir, that have been suffering in grief for years. But I want to make this statement. If God did it, there's a greater purpose. It would be easy for me to quit preaching. I never thought about it ever. 13 months ago. One of my friends told another preacher friend of mine, my wife got ovarian cancer and God healed the cancer. God took it away. One of my friends told another friend, they didn't tell me, I, I would have probably hit him, but anyhow. He's like, I'm glad God healed Rachel. Dale wouldn't have a ministry. If it wasn't for Rachel. God let the cancer come back. God didn't heal my Rachel the second time. I thought about that statement. He said it because Rachel was the personality. Y'all would have loved her so much. She was amazing. She was beautiful. She would have walked in this building. She'd have known every woman in this building before you ever. She wouldn't let you leave till she got to know. I mean, she talked to everybody. I don't want to talk to nobody. I try to hide in a corner somewhere. I mean, that's just who I am. And I don't know how God does these things. God, are you sure? I know you don't make no mistakes, but you sure you didn't make one this time? I didn't believe. God didn't have a purpose for my grief. I'd go home today. But I just believe there's a purpose. Ma'am, God don't hate you. Sir, God's not forgotten about you. He's not mad at us. I felt like this. Maybe it's something I said, God did this. Maybe it's something I done. Maybe God's mad. If God got mad because we done something, we're all in trouble. <laughs> we're all in trouble. It's not the God that we serve. That's the God of religion. It's not the God of the Bible. God loves you, sir. Man, there's a reason. There's a purpose. 
I want you to stand, if you would, every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around. Heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. I did this in the first service. I really hesitate to do this. I believe God's leading this way or I wouldn't do it. Because many times this is nothing more than a habit. It really is. Sometimes it's just a religious exercise, but I, I just believe God is leading in this direction. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody's looking around, but maybe as a testimony. <laughs> I haven't done this in a while. Maybe as a testimony. You can say, well, well Brother Dale, I'm saved. I'm a child of God. I, I'm on my way to heaven. I wonder who can just raise up their hand and say, Preacher, that's my testimony. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I'm on my way to heaven. Hands up all over the place. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. You, you know what you, you can put them down. You know what you just testified to? Not only that you're on your way to heaven, but you testified to the fact that even though you're saved, even though you're sealed until the day of redemption, you testified to the fact that there will be days of suffering. There will be days of grief. There will be days of pain. I know many people don't come to